Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to America's Community Voices. My name is Ronald Brookins. I'm here with my co-host, Donald Brookins. Good morning, Donald. How are you today? Good morning, Ronald. How are you today? We're getting off to a little rocky start today, so we want to apologize to the listeners for calling in a little bit late and uh, getting online to start the program. But after all, these are indeed test programs, and um, this has given us an opportunity to work out a few of the kinks that we have. Uh, uh, there we go. Uh, one of them being that uh, our intro for today, I want to go ahead and play that, Donald. Once we play the intro, then we'll come back and we'll talk about and move into the program for today. Our focus today, by the way, is the 24-hour news cycle. Good morning and welcome to America's Community Voices on Blog Talk Radio, hosted by Ronald and Donald Brookins. Today, our focus is on 24-hour news. Is it really news or self-preservation for ratings? The 24-hour news cycle has made it more difficult for the public to determine what is an accurate reporting of the news as opposed to self-interested, biased opinions that serve the political and social views of differing so-called news organizations. The questions that we'll be asking today is, can 24-hour cable news be trusted? Is network news and traditional print media, like the Washington Post and New York Times or NBC News, our last hope? How has online media, blogs, Internet web pages, Facebook, Twitter, influenced how we receive our news? And what about talk radio? What is the responsibility of the public relative to screening news to determine what are the facts as opposed to opinion? Several compelling subjects that we'll explore today. Please join us. So there you have it. So, Donzi, this is a subject you and I talked about many times. It's a subject that drives me crazy. Uh, I believe that 24-hour news or the 24-hour media is an organism. It is a life form in and of itself. And its primary objective is to eat. It must be fed. And regardless of whether a story has, is, is substantiated or has substance, they will take that story and make that story stretch out and last as long as it continues to feed them. Well, I mean, let's look at it, though. It, it, the primary reason for this is because in this age of technology and, and global news and 24-hour coverage, uh, everyone wants to tell the story first. So in order to tell the story first, they're going to, in my opinion, uh, take shortcuts to doing so. And it has been proven that the basic audience out there um, loves that sort of tabloid aspect of news. They live for it. So that's why you get them feeding these stories over and over and over again instead of covering the stories that are that merit being news, stories that we need to hear. That's my opinion. Let's take two situations, two different subjects. One of them we already talked about earlier this week in our, our first test program being the presidency of Barack Obama. I want to take that one, and I want to take the situation with the mosque in New York. And let's try to look at the way the different elements of 24-hour news approach the story. Now, when I say different elements, I want to talk about cable news, I want to talk about Internet and blogs. 
I want to talk about talk radio. And then I want to talk about print news. Uh, and let's try to distinguish between those. Um, let's deal with Obama first. Um, you know, there are various and different opinions about President Obama and whether he's been an effective president, uh, uh, and whether he's kept the promises that he made uh, relative to when he was campaigning for office. And, again, whether his policies, those that have been passed and those that have been legislated, whether those are truly effective policies. Um, where do you stand at on cable news and how cable news has covered Barack Obama? Well, you know, i got to tell you that cable news, in my opinion, is, is, and the whole idea of this technology that allows um, 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 people access to all all of these options for news choices. It's pretty much a, like a democracy. It's pretty much um, 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 everyone has an opinion depending on your your political beliefs, etc. I think cable news is set up as it is, where you have conservative news outlets, you have liberal news outlets, you have news outlets in the middle of the road. Now, I prefer to watch a show like. Larry King, because Larry King does not take a position. He simply he simply asks the questions and allows his audience, uh, or assumes that his audience is intelligent enough to make a conclusion based on himself. Let me interrupt you for a minute, because when I use the term news, Donna, I'm talking about news in terms of having ethical standards as to how you report the news, as to whether it's a fact or not. So reporting of the news is based on the fact that you've confirmed that it indeed the news that you're reporting it's news. Well, the standard, and then let me put it like this, the standards of network television seems to be a little bit higher than the standard of cable television. Okay. And I left one, one other stakeholder out of this, and that's 24 hours, and that's uh, the uh, print media, because print media is now 24 hours, too, because they also, all of them have online sites that are constantly updated, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, uh, St. Petersburg Times, all of them have 24-hour uh, 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 capabilities of updating their news. Okay, but so those news standards that you're talking about, you're saying that those exist with uh, uh, news programs like the Network News, NBC, ABC, CBS, and I would say also that would should be extended to uh, uh, print news media like uh, Newsweek, New York Times, Washington Post. Is that, do you agree with me? Somewhat. Well, what do you mean when you say somewhat? Well, I mean, print media, those old established uh, vanguard papers like Washington uh, Post and New York Times, some of the older publications, they tend to, I think, hold to the same basic old rules that they've established uh, throughout uh, time, um, the same as a network television like CBS. But, 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 but it's not throughout time, Donna. It, the, the, the profession of being a reporter and reporting the news has had certain standards. And, I mean, and clearly we saw that in the rendering of all the president's men and, and what the Washington Post did in terms of reporting what occurred with Richard Nixon and what occurred with the Watergate uh, uh, story. So there were standards that they adhered to before they would report a story as fact. So using that framework, are there standards that exist, in, particularly as we're talking about Barack Obama, do you believe that those standards are being used across, by any of the elements across the news cycle? I think that uh, they've, to a degree, been watered down because uh, 
that factor that I mentioned in the beginning about being able to tell the story first. So if they have to get there and give the audience what it wants to a degree, I think that's happening. I don't think it's happening as much with the Washington and established paper like the Washington Post, or, but I do think it's happening with lesser publications. I do think it's happening, especially in cable media. Uh, that happens all the time. I mean, with the and what about talk radio with the Ann Coulter's and the Rush Limbaugh's? Well, well, see, I see those as totally different. I see those as performers. Okay, they're out there performing. I don't know if they necessarily believe what they're saying, most of them. These pundits don't necessarily believe what they're saying. I think they're performing and they're playing to their audience. What about the special and distinct category known as Glenn Beck? Oh, he's one of the best. He's probably the best performer out there. I don't think Glenn Beck believes uh, what he's saying. I don't think he's committed to what he's saying. What is he motivated by? I think he's motivated by the audience that he has. No, Donald, I, I disagree with you. You're missing the point. Look at Ann Coulter and look at Glenn Beck because they're both they're, they're two sides they're on the same side of the coin. These people have found out by pushing what they push, they've been able to earn a lot of money. Glenn Beck has gone from being on the second tier at Headline News and a show in which he sometimes talked to he, he well, put forth conservative views, but was nowhere as outlandish as he is now. Went to Fox. Started putting out all his outlandish stuff, and now he's publishing books. Yeah, he got website, but he's making the money. I understand, but Ann Coulter has a, a background and a history of being a conservative and a, a, and being a Republican. No, no, Ann Coulter's making money. Ann Coulter puts well, out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. She feeds, she feeds uh, an economic entity. Well, but at least I can buy it what she's saying to a degree that she believes, sort of believes in what she's saying. I don't have any evidence that that Glenn Beck was ever conservative or ever participated in the Republican Party or did anything other than what he's doing now to promote those efforts of taking advantage of a sentiment that's going on in this country because of what's happening with the, the president. Have you heard some of the things that Coulter has said about President Obama and his family? Yeah. Okay. Do you really believe that a woman as educated as she does believes that crap? I don't think she believes it. I think she says it because it feeds a constituency out there that's hungry for that type of uh, of information, and it also lines her pockets with money. Well, yeah, that too, but I also believe that, see, like most conservatives that I've seen, the difference between conservatives and, and, and Democrats and middle-of-the-road people, uh, conservatives are more strategic, and, and they don't have any morals about what they will do or what they will use to bash Democrats or to gain an advantage. Well, you're right about that, and... and we're going to go and we're going to go on the other side of this corner. We're going to talk about liberals. We're going to talk about Keith Overman on uh, MSNBC Top Dot, and let's talk about MSNBC itself and uh, what occurs on that. Because uh, I can agree to a certain extent what people say about Overman. Uh, although Overman, I don't think Overman is without ethics. I really don't. I think sometimes his views are so strongly, strongly felt that he states them, but he doesn't do some of the things. Uh, that are being done uh, by some of the conservatives. He really well, he's, a, he's a really passionate liberal, and, and most liberals to the far left, like him, really liberal, are, are very emotional and, 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 and tend to be emotional about their response to what's going on from conservatives. Uh, that's why we need and have to have voices that are, that are in the middle of the road, whether you be left or center or right or center, because... That's common ground, and that's what we're not seeing. 
Okay. Now, Donald, we're going to go to a, a, a sound clip. Uh, and then on the other side of the sound clip, we're going to come back and discuss this. But I want to play something in which um, uh, uh, John Stewart is being is John Stewart is also another aspect, you know, a comic who has a show called The Daily Show on the Comedy Channel that is one of the most respected sources of information that we have today. Yeah, but he's he's, he's such his wit, his intellectual wit is so far above anything else that I've seen out there that you really can't accuse him of being uh, an emotional liberal that takes it too far. He's, I mean, he's pointing out commonsensical things, in my opinion, that we ought to be observing, saying, look, come on, let's do some critical analysis. Take a look at what's happened here. All right, then. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about the Colbert Report also on the Comedy Channel. But let's play this excerpt, and then we'll come back on the other side of this. Okay, you ready? Yes. As everybody knows, on Saturday will be the, the event uh, of Glenn Beck in Washington, uh, the day of Martin Luther King March. I will be like killing Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln for the second time, killing the concept of civil rights, human rights, everything that is against the Constitution will be shown. So hear what Glenn Beck is. I could tell you about it, but I think the event's organizer can really say it best. History is going to be made on Saturday. Restoring honor at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Saving and preserving the Republic of the United States of America. That sounds nice. Wait, we have to restore the Lincoln Memorial's honor? Has it been banging the Statue of Liberty again? yourself to preserving the Republic actually seems like a pretty positive goal. Is that, wait a minute. Lincoln Memorial, August 28th. Why does that ring a bell? Oh, right! That's when and where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech, for which was kind of an important speech. Huh. That's weird. How would that happen? We picked uh, August 28th. It was open in my schedule. When I announced it, the New York Times blogged immediately that this was MLK Day, and I immediately said, oh my God. Wow, so Glenn Beck didn't realize that that was an important day in African American history. I find that totally plausible. I find that totally plausible. That, uh, that must have been a humbling realization. I certainly am no Martin Luther King. I am not going to be standing on the stair that Martin Luther King stood on. Kudos. Kudos to you, sir. Nice, nice to see you have this in perspective. I'll be two flights down from that stair, as is appropriate. Well, in, in Glenn's defense, I would have guessed he'd have gone two flights up, sat on Lincoln's lap. Now, while uh, Mr. Beck didn't intentionally schedule his rally, he didn't, he didn't intentionally schedule his rally for the anniversary of Dr. King's speech, it does turn out to be an absolutely appropriate synchronicity. This is about restoring honor. It is about the things that Martin Luther King stood for, the content of character, not the color of skin. 
The people have been acting as though no white man can mention or praise or support the mission of Martin Luther King. African Americans don't own Martin Luther King. Black people don't own Martin Luther King. White people... Uh, oh, wait, no, that's... That's not... That's not right. By the way, who acts like white people can't praise Martin Luther King? Or is it that they don't want people who also call Barack Obama, the first black president, a racist to praise Martin Luther King? Because here's something that's never happened to me. Uh, Martin Luther King is one of my personal heroes. Oh, no, you did! No, you did, white boy! <laughs> well, Ronald, that's a perfect example of the brilliance of John Stewart in pointing out the absurdity of Glenn Beck and exposing exactly what he was trying to do with that. Now, from from a from a basic level, I have no problem with grassroots efforts trying to get out there and speak because they believe or disbelieve in something. I support that, whether I agree or disagree with what they're doing. However, Mr. Beck and what he was doing he was shamelessly self-promoting himself and putting himself out there for his own financial advantage. Here's my point of view, and it's different from yours, though. I think that this story about Beck and his having this thing on Martin Luther King, on the anniversary of Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Gene speech, was overreported. It was blown out of proportion to the point that everybody, that's all everybody talked about. I mean, you had all of the old civil rights people on all of the, all the shows talking about how dare he. You had the, the conservatives who could give a, sh a damn about Martin Luther King. Only talking about we have a right to talk about Martin Luther King. We believe as much in liberty, justice of the American way, blah, 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 blah. It was a non-story in my mind. Though. It really was. It was not news. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, it was a story because it was a story because Mr. Beck was able to uh, command and draw quite a few of people who came to Washington that day to listen to him. That from that aspect, it was a story. But, but I agree. Other than that, it was not, it's not a story that should have been on the front page no, every day. It was on the front pages every day. It started out either as the top story or the second story on all of the newscasts on it, and it was reported over and over and over again. And, 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 and here's my thing about this. Again, I want to tell you something. And remember the premise that I set forth when we first started this program. The organism, the entity known as the media must be fed. They've got to have something to eat and feed it so they can have audiences to watch it on that 24-hour cycle or be involved with it on that 24-hour cycle. I think these are the type of things that the media has become in this era. These are the things that President Obama has to face that other presidents haven't had to face. And then the next president after Obama will face even more. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, because, I mean, uh, we've had this 24-hour cable network media for a while now, uh, Clinton faced it. Um, uh, Bush too faced it. So, Donna, are you serious? Are you telling me that the fervor and the access to news is is not greater greater than it was? Is greater was greater during Clinton 
and Bush too than it is now? You're out of your mind. No, I'm not saying that it's greater. I mean, as technology expands, it's going to get greater, and it's going to allow these situations to occur. But I'm saying that they were, they, there was 24-hour news when Clinton was around. I'll give you a perfect example, and it's not a good example. It's one of the reasons why I dislike this 24-hour news and this needing to tell the story first. Uh, when Clinton was president and John Kennedy Jr.'s plane went down, remember they started out with the search for John Kennedy Jr., and everybody thought about his father and, and the, the assassinated president and Camelot and all of that. And by the end of it, they had these stations had adapted theme music. But, Donna, that was a legitimate story, Donna. I mean, and it's from... It wasn't a legitimate story when they started putting theme music to it. Well, that's, that's a different aspect. That's not what we're talking about. There was a legitimate news story that was followed from end to end from the point that he was missing throughout the search to the conclusion of the story when the bodies were found and then what was the aftermath of that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is stories that are not stories, that are generated to, to, to continue to provide subjects for shows so that they can continually talk about it and drive up ratings, Donna. I don't think anybody was trying to drive up ratings covering the John F. Kennedy uh, uh, tragedy, junior tragedy. But I guarantee you, when they put on this crap uh, regarding Obama, stuff with Glenn Beck and all of that, people are trying to drive up ratings. Of course Donna. they are, Ronald. That's the, I mean, that's, the, that's one of the main considerations is to increase ratings and, 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 and to be rated high. Um, um, the Glenn Beck story, he is a, uh, a character he is someone that people listen to. He has an audience. He has a very large audience. Uh, but I don't know, and I agree with you, that that shouldn't have taken place every day. It should have been a, a lead story maybe one or two days and then coverage a day of, but I don't know if they should have done that every day and opened up every day with Glenn Beck. Okay, let's make a shift because we've talked about pretty much conservative news programs and, and focus on Beck somewhat because Beck is really out there. A great performer. He really is. Uh, but let's go on the other side of the coin, and let's talk about uh, the liberal uh, 24-hour cable news, and particularly MSNBC. And let me tell you what my take is on MSNBC. They have an interesting uh, structure over there because what they have is, while the organization itself is seen as being totally liberal and liberal-biased, they have different shows on there where in which they offer the Republican, the uh, the uh, that was a 40-inch clip. They offer the conservative point of view. For instance, uh, uh, there's Joe, uh, Morning Joe. Yeah. Uh, and there's also Pat Buchanan is on there often. Uh, so there are elements of the conservative point of view. Uh, uh, I would say that uh, Chris, uh, Chris uh, what's Chris's last name? Don. You mean Chris that does, uh, does uh, hardball? Yeah. Can't think of his last name. I'm sorry about that. I'll think of it in a minute. Chris uh, Matthews. Chris Matthews. Uh, I, I don't think Chris Matthews is so much a far left liberal as he is a is a centrist. I, I really do. I don't think. Well, he yeah, is. he's always been a centrist, but he's been pushed to the far left by some of these some of the shenanigans that, that went on in the Bush administration and what's going on but now. But the focal point of the liberal point of view on that station uh, is the eight o'clock and nine o'clock programming with Keith Overman, and then what follows is. Uh, What's the young lady that is who I really Amy something? What's her name? Isn't her name Amy? No, her name is not Amy, Donna. Then I don't know her name. Okay, well anyway, talk about Oberman. Um, what do you think Oberman's role is in all of this? Because he really does draw a lot of attention. Uh, I, I, I am very impressed with what he did with that countdown show. 
Because when it originally started out, I, I thought about, who the hell want to watch this every night? But all of them are very creative in the stories that they cover, the different aspects of it. It has a certain point of view, but nonetheless, they cover it, and they really do do a good job of presenting what are the, probably the top five stories of the day. Now, uh, he does some commentary, and he loved Doves. One of my first things, one of my most favorite of all things on TV, the worst person in the world. Yeah, but he's a pundit. Uh-huh. Okay, he's a pundit, and he's a guy with a background in sports, and he seemed to be able to make that transition over to uh, pundit news very well. His show is enjoyable. It's very enjoyable, and sometimes he's right on point, right on key. Now, while you like him at MSNBC, and I know we're talking about MSNBC, I am a huge fan, a huge fan of Bill Maher on HBO. I forgot about Maher. I, I really did. Maher is, is something else that I forgot about, too. Talk about Bill Maher, and where does he fit in all of this stuff? Well, I think Bill Maher uh, is great because he'll call out even though he's liberal, he'll call out Democrats, he'll call out Republicans, he'll call out Miller Road people, he'll call out independent people. If he feels that it doesn't make sense, if he feels that it's stupid, if he feels that, that, that what they're saying is just not in the benefit of the American public and the American citizen, he'll say so. He'll state his opinion, and he's very flamboyant about his opinion, and he has guests on his show that covers the wide spectrum whether they be Democrat, Republican, Independent, or whatever. So he gives you all of that information and point of view. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio. This is America's Community Voices with your hosts, Donald and Ronald Brookings. Our subject today is the 24-hour news cycle. Is it really news or self-preservation for ratings? Uh, we're really wanting and trying to focus on, because it, it really irks me, uh, how all of these news organizations, to some extent, one or another, have been guilty of taking uh, items uh, that are really not really news and not really important and blowing them up so they can have a life cycle of two or three or four days or whatever in order to provide content for their programs. Um, and we've been talking about uh, conservative news programs. We've been talking about uh, liberal news programs and, and other aspects of the whole uh, concept of the media today, uh, shows like uh, – uh, uh, John Stewart show on the Comedy Channel, the, day, uh, the Daily, what is it, the Daily News? or Daily News. Daily News, and we talk about Bill Maher. What's Bill Maher's program called? Uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. Real Time with Bill Maher. Um, we certainly would like you to give us a call if you're out there and you have to be listening to this test program. You can reach us at 347-826-7104. 347-826-7104. We'd like to get your input and certainly would like to have you join us. Uh, we have... Uh, about, uh, let's see, a few more minutes left in the program, um, uh, but we want to continue with another clip. Here's a clip, Donald, with President Bill Clinton, or former President Clinton on Fox News, and it has to do with uh, Clinton is somebody, I like, you know, Clinton, my boy. Clinton don't take nothing off. Nobody's one of the smartest presidents we have ever had. He He's able to argue his point and argue it with conviction. And here's something with him on Fox News. I think it's with uh, uh, Mike Wallace's son uh, where they're accusing him of one thing, and Clinton comes back, and he comes back strong. Here's this. Question, and then you can answer. Yeah. The 9-11 Commission, you, which you talk about, and this is what they did say, not what ABC pretended they yeah. said. What did they, they said about you and President Bush, and I quote, the U.S. government took the threat seriously 
but not in the sense of mustering anything like the kind of effort that would be gathered to confront an enemy of the first, second, or even third rank. That, first of all, that's not true with us and bin Laden. Well, I'm telling you, that's and, what the 9-11 right, Commission Let's said. look at what Richard Clark said. Do you think Richard Clark has a vigorous attitude about bin Laden? Yes, I do. You I do, don't he you? Has, he has a, a variety of opinions and loyalties, right. but yes, no, he has right, a vigorous wait. opinion. Yeah, he has a variety of opinions and loyalties now, but let's look at the facts. He worked for Ronald Reagan. He was loyal to him. He worked for George H.W. Bush. He was loyal to him. He worked for me, and he was loyal to me. He worked for President Bush. He was loyal to him. They downgraded him and the terrorist operation. Now, look what he said. Read his book and read his factual assertions, not opinions, assertions. He said we took vigorous action after the African embassies. We probably nearly got bin Laden. Well, what, I authorized. No, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. A, a few, no, wait a minute. You, well, I no, no. I authorized. I authorized the CIA to, to get groups together to try to kill him. The CIA was run by George Tenet that President Bush gave the Medal of Freedom to. He said he did a good job setting up all these counterterrorism things. The country never had a comprehensive anti-terror operation until I came there. Now, if you want to criticize me for one thing, you can criticize me for this. After the cold, I had battle plans drawn to go into uh, Afghanistan, overthrow the Taliban, and launch a full-scale attack search for bin Laden. But we needed basing rights in Uzbekistan, which we got after 9-11. The CIA and the FBI refused to certify that bin Laden was responsible while I was there. They refused to certify. So that meant I would have had to send a few hundred special forces in and helicopters refueled at night. Even the 9-11 Commission didn't do that. Now, the 9-11 Commission was a political document, too. All I'm asking is, anybody who wants to say I didn't do enough, you read Richard Clark. Do you think you did enough, sir? No, because I didn't get him. Right. But at least I tried. That's the difference in me and some, including all the right-wingers that are attacking me now. They ridiculed me for trying. They had eight months to try. They did not try. I tried. So I tried and failed. When I failed, I left a comprehensive anti-terrorist strategy and the best guy in the country, Dick Clark, who got demoted. So you did Fox's bidding on this show. You did your life little conservative hit job on me. Well, what I want to know well, is... Wait, 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 how many people in the Bush administration you asked this question of? I want to know how many people in the Bush administration you asked, why didn't you do anything about the coal? I want to know how many people you asked, why did you fire Dick Clark? I want to know how many people you we asked. We asked. Did you ever watch Fox News Sunday, I sir? I don't believe you asked them that. We asked plenty of questions. Of you didn't ask that, did you? Tell the truth, Chris. Ask call? Tell the truth. I, I, with with did you ever ask Afghanistan, that? there's plenty of stuff to ask. Did you sir. ever ask that? You set this meeting up because you're going to get a lot of criticism from your viewers because Rupert Murdoch supported my work on climate change. And you came here under false pretenses and said that you'd spend half the time talking about, you said you'd spend half the time talking about what we did out there to raise seven billion dollars plus in three days from 215 different commitments. And you don't care. I, but President Clinton, if you, you look at the questions here, you'll see half the questions about that. I didn't think this was going to set you, you launched, off on such a you tear. Launched it, it set off on a tear because you didn't formulate it in an honest way and because you people ask me questions, you don't ask the other side. That, and,
couldn't answer that appropriately. I think he was absolutely right. But do you do get Clinton's point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Clinton is saying that he was set up. They called him enough for one thing and tried to ask him another thing and thought he was going to back down, and he didn't. And when he didn't back down, you sounded, Wallace sounded a little uh, disrupted, didn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, he was very. He put Wallace on the defensive, so he he disarmed him and took his what he thought was his weapon away, and he and he went after him. But you know, uh, enough of all that. Let, let's talk about the good things about uh, cable and a twenty-four hour news cycle. Before we get that, I want to conclude with that. One other thing I want to talk about that we haven't talked about, and that's the elephant in the room, and that's the one and the only, the greatest entertainer on the earth, Rush Limbaugh. Well, I don't, well, he is entertainer, entertainer, and and he's playing to his audience. He knows who his audience is. He knows what they want to hear. He tells them what they want to hear, and that's it. I don't believe that he's a conservative either. I believe that he's a performer, a Barnum and Bailey performer that's performing for his audience because it keeps him. It keeps him in that large salary that he makes, huge salary that he makes, and and the rest of it is crap. So I agree with you. So there's nothing else left to really debate. You know, he's a performer, and those people who want to believe that crap that he believes, uh, that biased, racist, uh, anti-American crap, because it is anti-American to push people in a direction that, that does, does not uh, lead towards what our founding fathers wanted us to lead towards, and that is consensus. I mean, this country is about checks and balances and consensus. It's history is about that. If anybody has ever read the Federalist Papers, it's about that because the Federalist Papers does not trust any of us, any of us, to run this government. It says that we absolutely must have uh, uh, checks and balances because, to quote Mr. Hamilton in the Federalist Papers, because men and women are ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. Very apt statement. I agree. Okay, so now let's go to the positive aspects. Let's talk about the positive aspect of the 24-hour news cycle. Well, I mean, let's take a look at some of the positive aspects. Uh, the most recent thing is what's happened over in Chile with those miners. That's exceptional. That's exceptional. That's a that's an act of humanity, an act of human uh, ingenuity in which those people were trapped below the ground for 69 days, didn't know if you could save them, uh, uh, got together, put their minds together, came up with a plan, and eventually they succeeded. And it's a triumph of the human spirit, specifically for those men who were held under the ground, but also for the people above ground who did what they could to save their lives. But see, you're talking about the participants. Let me talk about news coverage. I think that on this story, every aspect of news coverage has, has, has really really uh, redeem themselves. I mean, from 24-hour news to cable news to network news, print news media, all of it, I mean, absolutely cover every aspect of the story, The really the positive aspects of the story. Um, uh, the From the time that everything had been confirmed and the rescue began, the coverage of the rescue, each time from when the first man was brought up to the last man being brought up, it was brilliantly presented. Uh, the families and the backdrop of the families was brilliantly presented. That's the type of story that in the past we would never have had been able to be eyewitnesses. But, Ronald, the technology made us eyewitnesses of it, so it, it was a general worldwide feeling of goodwill. But, Ronald, they didn't have to do anything. The main thing that they did that was right 
was didn't get in the way. They got out of the way and let the story tell itself. Because that's all. The, that's all that had to happen was the story to tell itself. Because it was a strong enough story where it told itself. All they had to do to be there and put that lens on that event and on those people and let the story tell itself. But all I'm saying is that this is a story that deserved the attention that it got. You know, it really does. It deserved the attention that it got. Uh, and I'll tell you another story uh, that eventually had a positive outcome that deserved attention. That is the guy, and that's the whole thing that occurred down in the Gulf of Doorsville. Uh, the news companies did a wonderful job in covering that story also, I thought. From beginning to end, I mean, we were able to see that all leaking out, and then once they closed it off, we were able to see it, and they covered how it affected the people in the region, who was wrong, what were the, uh, what were the obligations of the government, uh, BP. I mean, that's another story in which the coverage was accurate, I thought, and a good job was done by one and all. I agree, but then to a lesser degree, there are other types of stories that are good things, like being able to globally see sports events like the Olympics and, and the World Cup games and things like that. Uh, being able to see those things immediately. Uh, being able to see the campaign, the elections. Uh, uh, the primaries and stuff, and being able to hear candidates speak, uh, town hall meetings and all of that, that's important. That's important bringing that aspect to people, having them to have access to the information. That's extremely important. But to, So as we sum up, what's the debate? I, I think that you, you made probably one of the best statements I've ever heard you made, and that is that 24-hour news is like a democracy. You have to take the good with the bad. Uh, and the real issue here, in my own mind, is that it's up to the listener to use common sense and discretion and critical analysis in, in determining what is truly fact and what is fiction. Uh, we can't expect, used to be news organizations would do that for us. The news organizations held themselves to a standard that they wouldn't put anything out there unless it was verifiable fact. But that's just not the case anymore. So now, to our listeners and all of those of you, of you who are out there, it will be very important in the future as you listen to these different stories, as you see these things occurring uh, throughout uh, media, that you become much more critical in your analysis and determining what is actually fact and what isn't. Because oftentimes, when you share your opinion with your friends, then that has a compounding effect on how opinion is expressed in this country. Well, you're absolutely right, Ronald. Uh, you can't expect news media to hold themselves to a higher standard. Now it must ultimately be who it should have been all along, the public, to hold them to that standard. Well, that's a great, that's the great responsibility of living in a democracy, in a free democracy, is that you must be accountable for what you do. Just like everyone needs to get out and get off their butt and vote, you need to vote, you know. But you also need to screen all of these different candidates that are out there, screen the information that you get from these ads. I mean, that's another show we need to do, and that's about these political ads, Donna. You know, we need to cover that. But we also need, uh, need to do a program on people getting up and voting, no matter who you're for. I don't care who you vote for as long as you vote. Well, we, need, we need to make this democratic process truly a democratic process. But don't you love it that we live in a country that we, can, that we have freedom of speech, that we have freedom of choice, and that we also have the right to disagree. Agree. I, I agree with that, that we do have a right to disagree, and everybody has a right to their own opinion. Uh, I try not to be very critical of, uh, of those opinions uh, that are differing from mine, but I will tell you this. Uh, uh, I am sometimes very concerned by the fact 
that only one side of the view, like this Tea Party thing. You know, the press has really overblown, I believe, the effect of the Tea Party. But Ron, the Tea Party is a very small minority within this They country. may be very small, but they're the only voices that are out there talking. It's that silent majority of these Democrats and independents that sat on their butt and haven't, haven't spoken. I don't, I don't agree when you say they're the only one that's talking. They're the one that's talking the loudest. Once again. And not only are they talking, they're taking action in what they believe. Well, there are other people that every day take action in what they believe, but they don't, they're not out there screaming and shouting. It. I don't think it's necessary to do that. I think it's incumbent upon the press and the media to find those people that are out there doing things uh, to better their communities and, 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 and to, to really focus on furthering uh, their own uh, policy and opinions. I see. Again, once again, it's a matter of, of, of where you shine the light at. Well, that's true. And, and, and before, I know it's time to go just about, but I want to mention a program. Uh, when Katie Couric went to CBS, uh, everyone was wondering if she was going to be able to compete with the other guys on the network. But I want to tell you something, that Katie Couric has created and formulated and shaped that type of news program uh, that you were just speaking of that shines the light on the humanity and the human aspect of what's going on in the United States and around the world. Yeah. The stories that she tells are life-affirming. Okay, you're absolutely right, Don. I agree with you. Kirk deserves special commendations. Uh, the McLaughlin Show uh, deserves special accommodations. Don't you agree? Yeah. Uh, I still think uh, Meet the Press is a good show. Uh, the CBS Sunday Show. CBS Sunday Show. Morning Show is the best of its type on television. And I, and I love Morning Joe. Okay, I agree. I agree with you. But the day show has become unwatchable. Well, that's tabloid news. Yeah, it's become unwatchable. All right, and then let's not let's talk about radio. So we didn't talk about radio, but particularly let's talk about uh, all things considered on NPR. You know, great radio program and all of the NPR Class, radio Classic show. All right, we're down to the last few minutes of our program. We want to thank you for joining us. You've been listening to America's Community Voices with your host, Donald and Ronald Brookins. We will be back in the future with more programs, and uh, we hope to have you join us. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. It just left. Run your mouth like nobody goddamn business. And I mean you go on and on and on with that bullshit. But that was a good show, that. That was the, that was the best one we done done.
all we got to do is get our, uh, I think we ain't got, we done worked out a lot of cases. I'm ready to start getting people on that to talk with. I enjoyed that. Okay. Because the election coming up, I want to I, I want to interview local candidates in Hillsborough County, and I want to talk about the, the issues that face us with jobs and the economy and schools and stuff like that. I want to introduce I want to interview Leslie Miller. I'm sure I'd like to get Kendrick Meeks. Fast forward your phone, if you will. <laughs> 